then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. All of you, bud. Free for your life. <laughs> <laughs> to a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me, as always, is... Anthea. And today, we have a special guest, and his name is... David. David Park. And today, David is joining us because we are talking about one of his favorite movies, one of my favorite movies, and is it one of your favorite movies, Anthea? Yes, it is. And that is Scream. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Let's talk a little bit about how Scream came into our lives, shall we? For me, the first time I saw it was in the theater in 1997. Uh, the movie came out in December of 1996. It didn't do that well at first, but it, ha- it did very well with word of mouth. Lots of people started seeing it. And I was in Palm Springs and my grandma knew about it and she wanted to see it. So I went with my grandma and I instantly loved it. Oh. Just one of my favorite movies from the get go. That's awesome. Do you guys remember the first time you saw it? Not at all. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. So my dad knew about it. My dad saw it. I knew about it. I did not see it in the theater. This is one of those movies, I think. Remember when Blockbuster would sell the movies before they went on sale to the public from the studios, but you could buy an old rental copy. Right. I think a friend and I pitched in and bought a copy for like $30 on VHS from Blockbuster. And that was the first time I saw it because we used to have horror movie sleepovers all the time. Uh Uh-huh. It's so funny because time goes so much slower when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. So the movie came out in December of 95, but did 96. No, of 96, sorry. So the sequel came out a year later, right? Yeah. So I was well-versed in the movie by the time the sequel came out. And <laughs> we went to a Friday morning showing of... Well, you probably got the movie in the summer and watched it. And yeah, it, <laughs> it must have been. But... but from like I felt like I was so late to the game like shamefully late to the game in terms of like all my friends at school were talking about it in what would have been like what the second semester of seventh grade (laughs) (laughs) so uh I felt woefully behind but fell deep in love like you um I used to bond with my friends over it, too. My uh, best friend, Ian, growing up, uh, he loved it, too. And uh, I remember he got it on video cassette, and we watched it all the time, and we made our own Scream movies. And yeah. 
Uh, so great. So, Inthia, I usually ask you what you remember from the movie. Is it worth asking you, or do you know it pretty well? All of it. I mean, I just, yeah, I felt like I knew it all, so I, I didn't put anything down. All right, you want to just get into our synopsis? Let's do this. Scream. It opens with... So I put down the Dimension um, Films logo. Let me tell you something. I know what the Scream logo looks like. The Scream title. Title treatment. Thank you for this movie. That is not for me the opening, like the title (laughs) for Scream. It is literally this Dimension Films. And anytime Mm -hmm. I see it on any movie, I instantly think of Scream. Like when Phantoms came out in the theater, were you so excited? (laughs) I was like, we're not watching Scream. (laughs) Yeah, I get excited at any time there's a Dimension film. But the Scream logo in the first Scream is different yes. than the how poster. you see it the poster yeah. and uh-huh. all the sequels. And I don't like it in the movie. Yeah, it's not as good. And it reminds me of like Hackers and <laughs> The Net. Like It's very the, 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. It's very generic. Yeah, it almost looks like a mid-90s crime noir font or something. <laughs> yeah, kind Like a typewriter of. almost. Yeah, right? <laughs> But then it also has that weird, like, decayed look to it. It's just yeah. not my favorite. Um, so I always associate that with Scream. Then we finally do get our Scream title. And with it, it goes red. We hear a phone um, ringing. Also a gunshot, I believe, and some screaming. Is it a gunshot? I always thought it was. it's heartbeats and... There's like a boom there's a there's a loud it always yeah, sounded like a jail a, closing or something <laughs> yeah i think also there's like a white flash when the red comes and then it flashes and then it says scream so i think i always thought it was like a lightning or a thunderclap yeah i feel like the gunshot would make more sense it definitely foreshadowing if it's a gunshot mm-hmm. now i want to go back and listen to it with those ears so we open on casey who is played by drew barrymore casey becker And she receives a series of harassing phone calls. (laughs) And she's also in a very, very open, uncurtained house that makes me very upset. You know, (laughs) I got to say something. I I never like that. Okay. (laughs) If I had a house that had windows was like only that. made of windows at n- i would keep them open maybe during the daytime that's fine at nighttime they would always be closed unless i'm on maybe the second floor or something and i could look at the stars but having windows open where anyone could just see it is so annoying but i will say being the person on the other side of the window it's so fun to look in Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> no. So uh, she receives a series of harassing phone calls from someone who is being somewhat flirtatious and coy, but is really just harassing her. She even goes as far to say why he wants to talk to her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, they've got 900 numbers for that, which I love because it very much dates the movie. Wait, wait, don't hang up. What? I want to talk to you for a second. They've got 900 numbers for that. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. Along with the repeated use of the word cellular telephone. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, you know, I never knew what 900 numbers were. I'm like, I know what an 800 number is. What's a 900 number? Really? I mean, I assume a 900 number is like uh, like one of those hotlines to yeah. talk to a girl yeah, or something. Yeah, you pay by the minute. Yeah. Didn't you watch USA Up All Night? Probably. They, they, uh, those were the commercials. I remember the commercials, but I don't remember it being a 900 number. Mm-hmm. So during this, she's making popcorn and setting up to watch a video cassette of yeah. some sort and what um, what kind of popcorn is it it's one of those stovetop jiffy pop, pop. 
pop thingies. Boy, I loved those. I was looking for them recently. I think before we went to go see Scream at Hollywood Forever. And I couldn't find them in any store anywhere, but they are available still. Yeah, you can get yeah, them on Amazon. Yeah, they've but. been they've been hard to get for a long time. I tried to get one after I saw Scream for my collection, but uh, it was very hard <laughs> to find. That would be so nasty now. <laughs> it's just a block of solidified. Um, well, I have some other weird things coming up about my collection that you'll see. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So this conversation evolves into some movie talk, and he starts asking what her favorite movie is. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? And he also brings up that he wants to know her name, and she asks why, and he says that he wants to know who he's looking at. And that causes, like, the first, like, kind of jump scare moment. The music intensifies. She is freaked out. She says, what did you say? want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? Hello? So... I I gotta go, but why? I thought we were gonna go out. So, (laughs) while we were watching this movie, I had to several times tell Robert to not repeat everything. Okay. It's so talk along with it. It's stupid quotable. I know. It's very (laughs) quotable. My, My friend Ian and I, we basically memorized the script when we were kids watching it and I could still probably do the whole movie I I mean I I remember I would take like half hour showers I just do the whole every ghost face (laughs) scene in the shower (laughs) and then I would do scream 2 also I would go uh hello Sydney remember me I want you it's showtime then why don't you show your face you my pleasure (laughs) and then in scream 3 I too had a mother, but she said she had a new life, a new name. <laughs> that is like Prescott. So um, he says that he wants to know who who he's talking to, and it freaks her out. She immediately ends the call, and he keeps calling her. And then this is when it like super intensifies. He ends up threatening the crap out of her, and ends up calling her Blondie, which really just really freaks her out. Is this some kind of joke? More of a game, really. So she goes through several levels of terror. Well, speaking about levels of terror and going from zero to 60, how about, you know, she hangs up on him. He says, don't hang up on me. And then she goes, listen, asshole. And then he goes to 60. You listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again. I'll cut you like a fish. Understand? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From here... The doorbell rings and it scares Casey, and then uh, the phone rings and it scares her also. And we get introduced to her boyfriend, Steve, because finally she does pick up the phone again, and she says that her boyfriend's coming over, uh, plays football, and he's going to kick his ass. I'm shaking in my boots. And Steve is tied up by the pool. Bound and gagged. Mm -hmm. And here they go into playing movie trivia. And... It's just her trying to answer whatever BS. Yeah. Well, the first question that he has, the first question he asks is, "Who's name the killer in Halloween?" And she doesn't want to do it. Come on, it's your favorite scary movie. Yeah, the white mask. You stalked the babysitters. Michael, Michael Myers. Exactly. The captions on the TV said, "Michael, Michael, Michael." 
I think what? because <laughs> But later. I think because yeah. of the the Friday thirteenth answer that she gives, she says Jason a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, but still. Oh, can I say about her answer for the Friday thirteenth? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think that might have been a spoiler for me at the time because I don't remember um, seeing Friday thirteenth I mean, before yeah, this movie. That I mean yes, that could have been a spoiler for a lot of people and you know Granted, it was out for like 20 plus years, but still. <laughs> but, you know, people back then weren't as knowledgeable yeah, today sure. as they are with horror movies. And uh, lots of people just figured it was Jason. Mm-hmm. For which this film is responsible for making a whole generation of kids that know the answer. <laughs> That's right. So because she gets this Friday the 13th movie question wrong, poor Steve ends up being gutted. But poor Steve, I'm afraid he's those are some real horrific noises that you hear and then she turns on the pool lights and there he is with all his insides outside (laughs) yeah and you know they actually filmed a more gory version of this they they had a whole process on how they did the gutting scene where they had the actor the guy that plays steven uh you know he's kind of like hiding behind a fake body so it's his real head and a fake body and then it gets gutted and the guts fall out the theatrical version you just see what's left of him meaning you see the guts just hanging there Uh on the video version it's an extended edition and it doesn't even say it on the box it just has other scenes and and longer scenes and in this version of the movie you see the guts spill out of them really yeah mm-hmm. i even seen a version of the film where they just cut to a tight on his face instead of the that's wide. probably the tv version oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen that where all the good stuff's cut out yeah so this entire time casey's been making popcorn popcorn's now on fire it's burning you make popcorn <laughs> popcorn's just on fire and I really like that she goes outside she goes outside of the window very sneakily however well the the reason she has to go outside is once she gets the question wrong as to which door is Ghostface at they throw a chair through the window yes so they're They're in the the house so they're in the house on the attack so she's hiding from the killer she's outside he's inside and you have several moments in this movie where you think that she is going to get away and she is going to be able to not die. Especially since it's Drew Barrymore and it is the first scene of this movie. Yeah. No way are they going to kill her off. So you see a car approaching in the distance and she has a little glimmer of hope in her eyes and we know that these are her parents. So she runs towards the car and the killer catches up with her. And is able to... Well, let me say, when she looks in the window, she sees him walking around, and then she looks one more time, and he's right there and turns around and scares her and pops his head through the window, through the glass, Mm -hmm. breaking through. Mm -hmm. In that scene, it's Wes Craven in the costume. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's running towards her parents that are coming out of the car, and the killer catches up to her this whole time she's holding on to the phone um stabs her right in the chest so she actually is able to get to a really reasonable distance from her parents who are extremely clueless to anything that is happening around them yeah they're just talking about watering the plants and uh she goes to say mom you hear nothing because she's been stabbed like pretty much right in the chest lung she's area stabbed to the chest and then he uh chokes her oh, so geez. she lost her uh, vocal strength. Well, and then he stabs her in the side of the neck. Is that what he does? Yeah. I always thought he was just choking her. Mm. But it sounds like a stab. Yeah. Mm. And then she gets subdued by this guy, and she's being stabbed. 
Her parents are alerted when they walk into the house. The popcorn is super on fire. Um, and like, <laughs> and then when they when they take the popcorn off, the sound effect of the fire waving through the air, whoosh, whoosh, it's so loud. Like it sounds like backdraft. <laughs> <laughs> the mom is all, "You go, we go." <laughs> exactly. So her mom tries to call nine one one, and instead ends up hearing her daughter dying on the phone. Casey, baby. The parents are uh, freaked out. The dad then tells the mom to go down to the Mackenzie's. Exactly. Get in the car. Drive down to the Mackenzie's. I believe you have some trivia for this. <laughs> you know this one, does. David, right? Yeah. What is it? That's what Laurie Strode tells the kids to go do when they're running away from the boogeyman. That's right. In the original Halloween. Yeah. I want you to go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. I want you to tell them to call the police. Yeah. There's lots of Halloween references throughout this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, is a huge Halloween fan. It's his favorite movie of all time. Oh, really? So he peppered the script with references here and there. <laughs> oh, man. And then as Casey's mom is walking out, we see her just start screaming. And there is the biggest name in this movie... Drew Barrymore, super dead, strung up on a tree. It's very reminiscent of Psycho, you know, killing Janet Leigh, mm-hmm. killing your big star. And that was kind of Drew Barrymore's idea. She, They wanted her for Sydney. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She said it would be more interesting if she played Casey, you know. Mm. Yeah, so they see her strung up on the tree, and then you see the camera push in really fast to it. Mm-hmm. In the extended version on that video cassette, it's at normal speed, so you get to see her a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't like sped up yeah. stuff. <laughs> you know how I feel about those things. Yeah. I get real upset. <laughs> so from here, presumably the same evening, there's a young lady, her name is Sydney, and she's in her bedroom typing away at her computer. Her boyfriend, Billy, climbs in through the bedroom window. You mean her bubble butt boyfriend, Billy? <laughs> okay, so yeah. So Lynn, okay, I know that that line happens way later on during probably my least favorite conversational scene in this movie. <laughs> and yeah. That girl is so mean. We'll, we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, yeah, cheerleaders. But you brought yeah. it up. Well, <laughs> it's horrible. Like, Where's I mean, God, etc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky Lake. <laughs> oh, and that then also she's like, <laughs> homicide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst. But we'll talk about that bathroom yeah. scene in a bit. So her boyfriend, Billy Loomis, climbs in through the bedroom window, and they're almost caught by her father. Um, oh, close call. So, so from here by the way him climbing into the window is sort of a little reference to a nightmare on elm street where johnny depp would always climb through the window and he was partly cast because he looks so much like a young johnny depp he really he does. does yeah i wanted my hair like billy in this so bad that <laughs> 90s part in the middle was so sick i kind of liked that too <laughs> but his hair looks so crunchy like it if does you, not look crunchy at all oh yes it, it does. looks like it's wet yeah. No, there's a scene later on when he is hugging Sidney Prescott after the big chase scene when his cell phone drops uh-huh. and she backs away from him and he has this crusty piece of hair that gets stuck to her. So while she's backing up, it goes with her and then it flies back. Crusty. I, I would never say that. <laughs> so then here, Billy ends up 
um, talking <laughs> about how he was watching The Exorcist on TV and thought of their relationship, that all of the good stuff was edited out for TV. You know, I was home watching television. The, uh, the Exorcist was on. Yeah, let me do the fingers for you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what I mean by that is when he says he was watching The Exorcist, he points with both index fingers at the TV several times back and forth. And here's the thing, and I know you're not a fan of the movie, but Scary Movie, the reason the first Scary Movie is so good is because they get details like the fingers Are the right. fingers in the movie? The fingers are in the movie. And that was when I was like, no, this is really good. Because <laughs> up to that point, I was like, oh, they're copying it pretty well. He did the fingers, and I was like, all right, this is, this is next level. <laughs> scary Movie's legit good movie. So... During this scene of them talking about the exorcist on, um, you get another reference to Halloween. Do you remember? The music in the background that's oh, playing. Oh, that's right. Don't Fear the Reaper. It's Don't Fear the Reaper, mm-hmm. uh, which was in the original Halloween. That's and right. this is a slower version of the song. Mm-hmm. It's not the uh, Blue Waster Cult version. I like this version. It is good. So they make out, but Sydney stops anything before it gets goes a little bit further than some kissing. All um, right, stud bucket. And I, I, the wording of stud bucket is so upsetting. <laughs> the vernacular in this movie is so. I mean, it's Kevin Williamson. It's this established his style. I think that's what makes it so quotable. Like, yeah. Whether or not the phrase is good didn't matter. It was how well it rolled off the tongue. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So Billy is leaving. She does end up addressing the whole rating situation and asks if uh, they can engage in a, a PG-13 relationship and ends up flashing him as he leaves. Mm-hmm. Oh, we also find out that her dad is leaving town, mm-hmm. which is very important. You got my number right? Yeah. At the Hilton. <laughs> At the airport. That's right. So Billy leaves for the evening. It is now the next morning and there are copious amounts of reporters at the Woodsboro High lawn area. There's news about Casey and Steve's murders. And this is where we're introduced to Tatum, played by Rose McGowan. Yeah. She makes a comment about how this is one of the worst crimes in years since. And then she kind of gives Sydney a little like hesitant look and looks away and just kind of trails off from there. So, you know, immediately something's up with Sydney and they walk into school. In the school, the police are interrogating the kids in the principal's office and Sydney gets yeah. called in. And an, an interesting thing that I noticed is. When Sydney gets called in, she's in class. When the kid gives the teacher the note for Sydney that she's next, he says, here you go, Miss Tate. Oh, yes. Mrs. Tate was the name of Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween H2O, her fake name when, mm-hmm. instead of Laurie Strode. Oh, and really? And it's also written by Kevin Williamson. I will say that the teacher, when she tells Sydney it's time, she says, Sydney, it's your time. Who Didn't says? she say it's no, your turn? She says, Sydney, it would appear to be your turn. Your turn? Yeah. Mm, I read it so much more ominously, and I'm like, that's a really weird way to say that. Uh, lady. I, I know that line. I know that fuck. line well. I know that line well because I always felt like she wasn't being sincere, and she was just. It just seemed like she was acting so much. Oh, like, I I, I got that she was like we were just 
digging into the hey sorry your mom was murdered and now they want to talk to you about this Mm. so she goes to the principal's office and here we meet Dewey Deputy Dewey played by David Arquette Deputy Arquette (laughs) (laughs) they go through a little bit of questioning yeah and in this scene we also meet the sheriff his name is Sheriff Burke Mm-hmm. And he played a cop in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Oh, really? And we also meet Principal Hembry, played by Henry Winkler, mm-hmm. also known as Fonzie. Hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and even back then, when I first saw the movie, I always thought it was weird that he touches Sydney's face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. I mean, I know he's supposed to be a loving principal, but. He does come with a real intensity, he which does. you see later on when he has those comically large threatening <laughs> scissors in Shears. his hand. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, shing, shing, shing. <laughs> well, I always wanted scissors that sounded like that. I have some scissors that sound like really? that. Really? Yeah, let me That's show you. Good. <laughs> Robert gets very excited to use these scissors. Uh, now, is this part of your collection? No, they're oh, okay. actual functional scissors. <laughs> I'm sure if we oiled them a little bit, it'd just be like, shing, shing, shing. Want to take a... These are great. But yeah, he is aware of Sydney's feelings. So they question her a little bit. The next, we meet the gang at a water fountain and they're all laying about like a... J. Crew ad. Yeah. It's so set up. I was like, man, good for Wes Craven for setting up this like poster shot. So good. Such a good fountain. I don't know how anyone, if I have more than one person separating me from my friend, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, there's absolutely no way that like that Billy and Randy are having the same conversation when there are three other people between them. Next to a sp- a babbling fountain (laughs) on tile a tile (laughs) fountain well you know it it goes across the whole school what he says and he sliced and diced (laughs) called tact (laughs) oh and that was always an interesting thing they're sitting there talking and they're talking about the murder and Sydney asks well how do you gut someone and then Stu says take a knife and you slit them from growing to sternum. And then Billy stops him and says, It's called tact, you f- Greg. When I first saw this, I was like, Is tact another word for gutting someone? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what tact was, and I definitely didn't know what a f- Greg was. <laughs> but, did, but did you think tact was uh, how I, you I think I thought of more like tackle box or something. Like, I was like, What's he saying? Like, <laughs> I really wish I had more clear memories of this movie, of what my initial thoughts were. My entire vocabulary comes from Kevin Williamson <laughs> projects. <laughs> So in this scene, uh, who do we meet for the first time? We meet Randy, played by... Jamie Kennedy. Thank you. (laughs) We meet... In his best role. uh, We meet Stu. Stu is played by Matthew Lillard. Yeah. They're very... I mean, looking at them, at no point now as a grown adult am I like, these are all 16, 17, (laughs) 18-year-olds. I do not at all think that. But the way that they act is very appropriate to their age. Yeah. They, I mean, their vocabulary is a little heightened for that age yeah. during that They time. very much look older than Jock Peterson, for sure. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so we find out that Stu and Casey had dated. And there's a little bit of history being rewritten here as to whether or not she dumped him or he dumped her to be with 
Tatum. And so you're getting a little bit of a little backstory there. The conversation they're having about what kind of person is able to murder another person in such a brutal way ends up upsetting Sydney and she leaves this conversation. Yeah, they better live her alone. Live her alone! Yes, because they cut out, what, the liver and put it in the mailbox? Next to her spleen and her pancreas. There you go. Did you really put her liver in the mailbox? Because I heard that they found her liver in the mailbox next to her spleen and her pancreas. Um, a few hours later, Sydney is on the phone talking to Tatum. And she'll be uh, staying with Tatum since her dad is out of town. Um, and this, uh, this murder situation is really giving her a case of deja vu yeah she says deja vu all over again (laughs) cue line (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly which you know who came up with that phrase who yogi berra the new york yankee oh really Mm -hmm. so she turns on the tv to go through the channels and we hear some news reports about maureen prescott and earlier in the movie, when she went into the principal's office, she was called by her full name, which is Sydney Prescott. Now we know that there's some sort of connection. Maureen Prescott was murdered. And we find out from here, she turns off the TV, I believe, and walks through the house. And you get a little bit of like panning through the house. And you see a picture of Sydney with Maureen, who we've just seen on the TV. So you know that that is her mom. And she falls asleep on the couch. This is one of the best nap scenes in movie history. (laughs) This this looks like such a comfortable nap. She lies down, she's comfortable, and then you get this wonderful sunset. Beautiful. There's like three dissolving shots until the sun is completely gone. It makes you want to fall asleep. It's really great. And like that sunset is so pleasing. Mm -hmm. It's good. So she gets woken up by a call and it's Tatum calling her to tell her that she's on her way which is a lie because she's also on the way to the video store and wants to know if she has any sort of preference. I was thinking Tom Cruise and all the right moves. You know, if you pause it just right, you can see his penis. Sydney just wants her to come pick her up. Hangs up the phone and then she gets another phone call and she initially thinks that it's Tatum. Here's a voice on it and we as the viewer realize that it is the killer's voice. Hello, Sydney. But she thinks it's Randy. She likes the thing he's doing with his voice. It's sexy. You know, if Randy were to hear that, he would have been so excited. He would have. He would have. Yeah. They play uh, another round of the killer's favorite game. What's your favorite scary movie? And she says she doesn't watch that shit. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs so she should be going at the front door. It's insulting. And that's exactly what she does. Mm Mm-hmm. That she runs up the stairs? Yeah. <laughs> because she doesn't have a choice. I know, but it's just funny. Ironic. I know, no, it's very funny, but it's it's great that you see that later on, that she does try to go out the way that she would logically go, Yeah, but she's unable to. Yeah. My, how the turntables have <laughs> turned. Um, so <laughs> Sydney does not like scary movies and the, the caller eventually reveals himself to not be Randy and that they are standing on the front porch. Sydney goes outside and calls their bluff. Meanwhile, leaving the door open. As she not they, outside. his bluff. Well, sorry. <laughs> My bad. So she calls his bluff and walks out to the porch. Meanwhile, leaves the door wide open as she's walking out there. So when she puts her back towards the door, do you think that's when the killer goes inside? I do. I think so, too. But then at the same time, Billy, mm, well, whatever. People already know this. Can <laughs> climb through her window. And I think that that night he was just testing to see how easy it was to get in her window. 
Yeah, maybe. That so, first night? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm, so he sure. wasn't bored at home watching The Exorcist. No, he wasn't. He was That's why he did the fingers, because he was trying to think of an excuse. Exactly. It's <laughs> a thinking move. It was uh, the, the uh, Exorcist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the caller then threatens her and tells her that she'll die just like her mom. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. And she hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> After she says, F you, you cretin. Um, Another word I'd never heard before. I was like, is she saying creep weird? <laughs> yeah, I never heard that either. <laughs> I feel like there was something maybe on Nickelodeon. Did Clarissa explains it all? Did she ever use the oh, word cretin? Probably. Uh, probably uh, describing Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like these are my two like big exposures mm. to the word cretin. So from here, the killer is revealed to be in the closet and comes out where we have some really exciting fight music. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that I have a love-hate relationship with the soundtrack to Scream. Really? Sometimes I'm really into it, but then there's like the music where they're panning over the high school with all the reporters. Um, there's something weird about it. It almost reminds me of like Stomp. Like maybe some of the percussion was mm. used by like banging metal sheets together. Really? And then they do it also later on. And that's just not my favorite. It's just very dated. I, lo- I love the score. I like a lot of the music. The score action. by Marco Beltrami, right? That's right. Yeah. By who? Marco Beltrami. Oh, okay. As a whole, good. But there are some parts where I do not enjoy the score to this movie. This cue, though, the fight cue, mm-hmm. you enjoy. Yes, I yeah. do. Good cue. And when the killer is chasing Sydney up the stairs, if you listen very carefully, you can hear the killer saying, easy, easy. Why do I know this? I'd never... Well, I, I could always hear something. I never knew exactly mm. what he says, but I figured it was easy, easy. And then, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know who the killers are, <laughs> Stu, later on, when he gets hit in the head with that lollipop, he goes, easy. Stupidity leak. Easy. Oh. Mm. There's a lot of grunting. There is a lot of grunting. um, One of my favorite things about this killer is that he's very human and very fallible. Um, He's constantly getting the crap beat out of him by everyone. (laughs) And so he's always grunting his way through it and like reacting to whatever punches or kicks are thrown his way. He is kicked in the garage a lot too. (laughs) So Sydney tries to call 911, but the phone line has been disconnected. But what she is able to do is get to... 911 through her computer. It's the messenger. Yes. <laughs> but she's not able to tell them exactly what's happening, but she does give them her address, I believe. Yeah. And actually, in the trailer, there's a little bit more to the scene. In the trailer, you see a close up of her typing killer in the house. Oh. But she doesn't do that in the movie. I think in the movie it just says like what's your emergency yeah she never answers I think she turns around and there's no more emergency and then she just leaves it right yeah because he's gone from the door and at that moment Billy walks in through (laughs) walks through the window walks in through the window (laughs) like Michael Myers on Halloween too (laughs) (laughs) they embrace she explains what happens what has happened 
and a cellular phone falls out of his pocket. <laughs> I mean, a cellular telephone. I'm sorry, a cellular telephone. Yeah, and this, you know, very ominous lighting is on him. This is to tell you, oh, something's up with this guy. Yeah, and this causes Sydney to run out down the stairs and she goes out the front door right into Dewey, who is for some reason holding up the mask. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but he also gets just as scared of her. Yeah. <laughs> but doesn't he have a gun in his hand, yeah. too? At the top. Jeez. He says, Sorry, I found this. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's looking like a suspect here. They arrest Billy. And so here we got a lot of. <laughs> Billy's voice carrying a lot through a locked cop car <laughs> with the windows rolled up. Sydney! <laughs> Tatum arrives to take Sydney home. And here we're confirmed that Tatum and Dewey are brother and sister. At the same time, Gail shows up. And she shows up with her camera guy, Kenny, who she fat shames the hell out of him. Um, pretty much all the time. My name's not Jesus. (laughs) They go to the police station where Dewey reveals that he's not able to locate Sydney's father. And Billy is being held by the police and is being questioned um, with his father and the police chief. And here we get the classic line. Let's do it on three. One, two, three. I I didn't didn't kill kill anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't kill anybody. So Billy's being questioned by a police with his father. There's a, I put down police frenzy outside the police station. Well, it's, it's a, like a media frenzy. Yeah, media yes, frenzy. Yes, thank yeah. you. And then <laughs> remember Gail says, isn't there a back door to this place? Yes. The line that Kenny says is, yeah, down the alley, I think. But for some reason in my mind, I always thought he says, yeah, in the back. <laughs> You're thinking of Back to the Future Part 3 when Marty asks the bartender, is there a back door to this place? He's like, yes, in the back. Exactly. (laughs) That's what what I always thought was at Scream also. (laughs) So Gail and Kenny make their way to the back and they end up ambushing Sydney as she's trying to leave through the back door with Dewey. She questions Sydney Sydney's non-responsive to these things and they end up um, making a comment about Gail's book and Gail says that she will send it to Sydney and Sydney turns around and clocks her right in the face. I'll send you a copy. Bam, bitch went down. (laughs) Bam, Sid, super bitch. Back at Tatum's house, Tatum is reminiscing this glorious moment. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Sid! Super bitch! Meanwhile, Sydney gets a phone call. I just realized that Tatum's mom is the aunt from Gremlins. Really? Whoa, I haven't seen Gremlins in a long time. Um, Gremlins 2 specifically, I'm, rem- I'm remembering. Oh. I'm assuming she's in Gremlins 1. I don't know Gremlins 1. As good as I know Gremlins 2. <laughs> Gremlins 2 is the female Gremlin? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes to take this call and it is our killer. And he tells her that she's accused Billy just like she wrongfully accused someone else previously. Yeah. And I love how cocky and gloating Ghostface is on the phone at this part where she says hello and he goes hello Sydney (laughs) (laughs) looks like you fingered the wrong guy again (laughs) 
again, another. I was like, fingered? What is he talking about? <laughs> and so the killer ends up hanging up the phone, and here comes Deputy Dewey because he's trying to uh, protect and serve, and uh, a little late to the game. Which so was he good. off work when they left? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's done, and he went. He went to his room because yeah, he he's in, in his box. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, was he just like, all right, I'm gonna take them home, and also I'm off. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he probably stayed late because uh, mm, he had maybe, to deal yeah, with the maybe, killing. Yeah. So um, we have a news report about Cotton Weary, who was accused of raping and murdering Sydney's mother. And we find out that Sydney was the key witness yeah, in this trial. And he's now on death row for it. Yes. And he's played by Liev Schreiber. He is. And this is the only time we see him in the picture. Yeah, he gets a huge credit at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he's just was in he for two seconds. Was he even anybody yet? Like, no. Why did he have such a huge credit? I think this was no. one of his... Yeah. First major role. I, I had never heard of him before this. I had not. I yeah. didn't even know how to say his name. In part two, he gets to say, Diane Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the police reveal that Billy's cell phone records, I'm sorry, cellular phone records, <laughs> are clean. What are you doing with a cellular telephone, son? And here we have some reporters who are accosting Sydney as she's walking through. And one of them is Linda Blair. Yeah, a wonderful right. cameo by Linda Blair. People want to know. They have a right to know. She is also in front of the school, and she asks someone if they think that the killings are for the occult. Does she? At the beginning? Oh, is that, oh interesting. People have the right to know. <laughs> <laughs> so Sydney approaches Gail and wants to talk off the record. Gail wants none of this business, but then Sydney ends up saying that she owes her mother. Gail reveals that the book is all about the case and how she believes that Cotton Weary is wrongfully accused and starts to talk to Sydney about it and how Sydney did not necessarily see Cotton Weary, but she may have seen someone else wearing his jacket. Cotton Weary and Sydney's mom had an affair, but Sydney thinks that her mom would never have done that. So she reluctantly says that she had seen him and starts to show that she is unsure of her decision and wonders if the killings are related. Gail 100% picks up on this and knows that something's up, which obviously Sydney went to go kind of tip her off on it. Because then Gail can definitely do some digging. If I'm right about this, I could save a man's life. Do you know what that could do for my book sales? So now we enter Woodsboro High, and there are kids running through the halls wearing the the costume that the killer is wearing. Um, because we found out earlier that the, the costume sold all over town. Every five and dime has them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never had heard of a five and dime before. Me neither. <laughs> I had asked my dad. <laughs> Sydney and Billy end up running into each other in the hallway and have a conversation because he has been let out of jail because they have nothing on him, so they can't hold him. Mm -hmm. um, and they talk about how Sydney has not been the same. So this is a horribly inappropriate conversation that Billy totally feels like he can have with her, which is a major red flag. <laughs> he talks about how she has not been the same since her mom died. And she clarifies that her mom didn't just die, that her mom was murdered. It's very apparent that they both have very different views on what happened to her. And he even equates it to him getting over it when his mom left his dad. And she's like, my mom didn't just like pack up and leave. Her mom was murdered. Lying in a coffin somewhere. 
Billy then says that because this happened a year ago, he's felt that their relationship has really suffered from it, and he would really like his girlfriend back. Get over it. Sydney's not into that at all. <laughs> from here, we get these kids that are running through the hallway. They have been sent to the principal's office, and we have a wonderful scene <laughs> with the principal. I get my scissors. And he is pissed. <laughs> I put down sharpest scissors ever. So, two of your fellow students just savagely murdered. And this is the way that you show your compassion and sensitivity, huh? It's how, okay, he has these scissors out and he's, he's, uh, you know, cutting up the ghost face mask that these kids were wearing. And then he says, like, justice would be to, like, string these kids up (laughs) themselves. And he puts the scissors, like, to their chest and stuff. And he's waving it around. And the, 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 the sounds that the scissors make, it sounds like he's waving around a, you know, a medieval sword or something. Yeah. It's really funny how intense he is with these scissors, how intense he is with these kids. Even though, I mean, it is very valid. They're being complete jerk faces during this very sensitive time. I mean, this scene is like this because Principal Himbry is supposed to be a red herring. You're supposed to think Mm -hmm. he's going to be the killer. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that they say that. A phrase I had never heard before this movie. A red herring? (laughs) A red herring. A red herring is a fish, yes? Yes, I do believe there is a fish that is a red herring. Red herring is also a turn of phrase for a, uh, like a scapegoat or a distraction. Yes. Yeah. So he's very upset with these kids. We cut to Sydney in the bathroom. And here she is getting ready to do bathroom business. And um, some gals are talking. And they're talking about her. And talking about how she's an attention seeker. One of them goes as far as to call Billy her bubble butt boyfriend. She has her own bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. (laughs) Uh, that maybe she killed Casey and Steve. And then they just have a really kind of ridiculous conversation. Yeah. Where do you get this shit? Ricky Lake. Oh, you are pathetic. Meanwhile, Sydney has uh, taken to hiding in the stalls where she overhears everything. Once they leave, she walks out and she can kind of hear some stuff in the in the bathroom. And then she hears her name. A whisper. A whisper. And so she's looking around, she's looking under the stall doors and doesn't see anything. And I think we have a really great shot of this ominous shot of the feet coming down very steadily. Yeah. They got some amazing core strength. Well, I was thinking about it. He was in there the whole time. Was he standing there crotched down on the lid of the toilet and he's like holding up his little skirt so it doesn't show? (laughs) Yeah, because then he even lowers that. Yeah. It's so good. And he jumps out to attack her. He's blocking the way, but then she does this amazing run-slide situation, slides right past him, and runs out the door. Yep. And from here, it just cuts to the end of the day. After this, there was a scene that I guess was cut for time or whatever, where right after the bathroom scene, Sydney ran to the principal's office to report what had just happened. And then that is the reason that Principal Himbury suspends classes. But it it still works even without the scene. It does. Yeah. Gail and Dewey meet in front of the school. So we have their little quote unquote meet cute, but it's not a meet cute because Gail (laughs) has 
is just flirting with him to get information on what's happening. So we get a little bit of exposition from him and Mm -hmm. um, you see that setting up of her being able to use this flirting to her advantage. Um, We also get an announcement from the principal shortly after this that class is suspended and that there is a 9 p.m. curfew. This is a very joyously delivered at the end but at the beginning i always thought it was ghost face like really? i'd say the first 10 minutes he's like attention students and I was like, oh my god remember the earlier thing he says on the pa when he's like remember your principal loves you yeah <laughs> Stu is gonna have a party at his house and by the way when Stu shows up what does he say <laughs> Well, this was one of those things we, I think I finally put the DVD and put the captions on because we were talking about it one day and yeah. both of us didn't know what he said. Right. He says, Yeah. But Inthea, she uh, shined a light for me. Oh. It's from a song she says. Oh, really? Do you not remember the song, The Double Dutch Bus? I think oh, that's I do name. know Double Dutch Bus. Yeah, and you know when they have, like, oh they my break gosh, down their rapping the stupid part? Double Dutch. So in high school, I don't know why they showed it, but they always showed it every year. And I felt like certain students knew how good this school bus video was that they showed. But it was like some like safety school bus video that they would play in the auditorium for all the school. And me and my friends thought it was the most hilarious video ever. So what do you guys think? Do you think this is based on the song? That he line? says, Kizul is skizul is skis out. That's what he <laughs> says. Because he's basically saying, cool, school is out. Yeah. But in the dumbest double Dutch way possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Stu's having a party and he asks, the ladies to please bring some snacks. Here we get back to the principal, who I put down that the principal is acting foolish with this mask. Um, and He's just being ridiculous, having a moment in his office by himself. And he hears some knocking, and when he goes to answer the door, there's no one there. And this happens twice. He walks around the office and out into the school, and here you can see that the school's completely empty, except for a lowly jam janitor mm-hmm. yeah fred the janitor yes what do you know about him uh it's wes craven it's wes craven he and what is he dressed like? up as freddy cougar yeah what'd you say dead little shits <laughs> <laughs> sorry not you fred <laughs> so he's managed to freak himself out and he he uh, is checking out his office because he scared himself in his own window um yeah, in, in the, his in own ma- mirror yeah and they say when he looks in the mirror and he kind of does his hair that's a little nod to fonzie yeah i, I always, see that but, yeah which doesn't make complete sense to me because if it was a nod to fonzie he, he would look at the mirror and give the thumbs up because <laughs> oh. he doesn't have to fix his hair yeah that's what fonzie no. does well because fonzie well, would fonzie... go to do his hair and then he would just exactly fonzie oh, goes to comb his hair and he goes (laughs) (laughs) every time you do it you look like you're having an epiphany (laughs) (laughs) after checking around a little bit and seeing that the coast is clear he uh shuts the door and guess what the killer is in the office with him hiding behind that door and the killer gets him he gets got this entire sequence wasn't in the original script Oh, really? Again, the principal was supposed to be the red, a red herring throughout the entire movie. Oh. He wasn't supposed to have this death scene, but 
the Weinsteins, who were making the movie, read the script and they read 30 pages and there had it been a death and they told Kevin Williamson, put a kill scene in here. So that's the scene that uh, he put in. Oh, okay. Then we cut to a great song. I looked for that on CD for so long. And then I found yeah. it and I didn't like it as much as the movie. <laughs> Every single year school would end. Yeah. I would open my windows and blast it in my room. So Tatum and Sydney are talking about the possibility of Maureen's affair with Cotton. And Sydney is starting to show her doubt a little bit more. Meanwhile, they are being watched by the killer. It's going through the bushes. Mm-hmm. But here they make a reference to a Wes Carpenter movie. Yes. Don't go there, Sam. You're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick or something. So here we go to the video store, and this is where Randy works. And I put down that Stu is harassing Randy. There's a lot of harassing happening in this movie. Well, don't forget, the scene starts with a clip from Frankenstein. That's on TV. Oh, I forgot about that. I did forget. Yeah, it's the uh, It's Alive scene. And the clip they're showing is the edited version, where he doesn't say, In the name of God! Billy is standing in the horror section, flirting with some gals. And uh, Randy comments that this is in bad taste. And not that he has a girlfriend or anything and is flirting with women, but he is a a suspected murderer standing in the horror section at a video store. Stu and Randy talk about who they think the killer is. Randy thinks that it is Billy and equates it to Prom Night and a few other horror movies. His theory is maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him, and that's why he's angry. And by equating it to Prom Night, what he is saying, if they watch Prom Night, meaning the police, they would save time because Prom Night tells them what they should be doing and how to find out who the killer is. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch Prom Night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Give me those scissors. (laughs) Give me those scissors. Um, (laughs) And we also find out that Randy likes Sydney. Stu thinks that it is Sydney's dad, since no one can find him. Billy ends up showing up to this conversation, and he turns it around on Randy and ends up insinuating that maybe Randy is the killer. And what's his motive? I don't know. What is his motive? The Millennium. Motors in its denim. The Millennium. I like that. Good kid. (laughs) (laughs) We get a wonderful montage of the town packing up for the day to meet the curfew. It is very early, though, is it not? Uh, yeah, what time of year is it? Do we, what's, what time of year is it? We don't know what time of year is it. But you got to remember, they go to the party at nighttime and then people leave when curfew is happening. So, yeah. so it, I'm guessing it's like five o'clock or something. Yeah. But I remember they make a reference to a movie. When they get out of the car, they say, this place looks like the town that dreaded sundown. And then Dewey says, yeah, I saw that movie. It's about a killer in Texas, huh? That's about a killer in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sydney, Dewey, and Tatum are having a conversation and it turns to movies because everyone in this entire movie references movies. Like when he says, it's about a killer in Texas, huh? And uh, they're talking about uh, the casting of Sydney's movie. And she makes a joke that she sees herself as a young Meg Ryan, but with her luck would get Tori Spelling. Yeah. Well, Dewey says he sees her as a young Meg Ryan. Oh, thank you. Tatum and Sydney are in a store here, and they end up talking about her relationship with Billy. And they're also picking up food for the party. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they are being followed by the killer. 
At the same time, the chief of police talks to Dewey as Dewey's eating an ice cream. And I really <laughs> like this scene between them because the chief is taken up smoking again and is smoking the cigarette. And Dewey is mirroring all of his actions, but with ice cream. Yeah. And there's even... I've seen a shot in some behind-the-scenes footage. You know, the, the scene ends with Sheriff Burke throwing a cigarette down, and he stomps on it, and then Dewey does the same thing with his ice cream. That's yeah. right, yeah. But you know, that the sheriff, he actually wears the same boots as the killer, in That's case right. anyone wanted to look. Really? Mm-hmm. Get a little... Uh, the same ones that you can very clearly see in the bathroom scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that's just and there's even a music hit away. there. Yeah, there's a music hit to be like, oh, remember? Oh, look at these oh. boots. But I hate the sounds of Dewey eating the ice cream cone. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they end up talking about phone records, and the phone is registered to Neil Prescott, um, Sydney's dad. I think they even make a reference to cloning a phone, but then they quickly write that off. You can see that Sydney's dad is becoming somewhat of a suspect. Now we're at Stu's party, and there are tons of kids there. Yeah, and it, well, it starts with hearing the Youth of America song. Remember I was telling you earlier how I wanted to get some Jiffy Pop for my collection? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, here, if you notice, when... Gail and Kenny, the cameraman, are arriving to the party via the van. He throws a bag of reduced ruffles out the window. Yeah, reduced fat. I went to the market. I bought the exact reduced fat ruffles, ate the bag, and then I crumbled it up in the exact same fashion and put it in my collection. That's awesome. Did you still have it? I don't, but... How are the chips? Terrific. You know, ruffles has ridges. I do remember that. So, um, Gail is creeping around and she ends up joining Dewey to go check out the party. Meanwhile, at the party, Stu very offhandedly asks Tatum to get more beer from the, from the garage. So here we follow Tatum. When she enters the garage, the first thing she does is open the garage door a little bit. I find that very interesting. And then close it again. Oh, I thought that the door didn't work well yeah, she, she she presses it open and it goes up and then goes back down yeah so when i was a kid i would do that because my garage my old garage door uh-huh. did not have a separate button for the light i see for the door so i would do that when i was a kid so i understood okay. what that was and then i remember it was such a big deal when my parents got the motor replaced and then it came with a button that had a different button for the light Ooh. than the door it was such a oh. so maybe so maybe addition. that was the case but I remember watching it on video, mm-hmm. four by three. You can't see the garage opening. Oh, so you just see the button, hear the garage opening, uh. and then later the garage is closed again. I I'm like, see. what happened? Mm. Uh. Yeah, and that's why the light goes out because with a door that you would do that, I think the light's only on for one minute before it goes out. It's just on a quick timer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes so much more sense. The door closes behind her. The door going into the house closes behind her. As she's gathered all of her beers and tries to leave, she is stopped by the killer. Uh, The killer is now in the garage with her. And meanwhile, she thinks that this is a joke. She tries to get by the killer, make some jokes at him. She thinks it's Randy. Yep. And quickly finds out that it is not. And she ends up getting into a fight with this person. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. 
Um, well, what's funny is there ends up being a little chase and she throws a bunch of beer bottles at him yes. and he's soaking wet. And then in the next shot, he's completely dry. <laughs> she ends up trying to leave the garage through the doggy door and the killer ends up setting off the garage so that the garage door. So it goes up and it takes her with it, which I always found very implausible. <laughs> yeah, this is a really problematic scene for most people, I feel like, mm-hmm. in terms of the feasibility of any of it all. The fitting through it isn't the unfeasible part. I think the garage door oh, being no, able to lift that. that much weight. That's is, what that and my... not stop once it felt any resistance. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I think that's what they do. As soon as they feel anything, it's like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Maybe they jerry rigged it. Now, Maybe why couldn't she put her hands up? <laughs> well, because she had one hand out the That's thing, right. And yeah, the she other did. One, mm-hmm. she, she only was had like, one arm out. In an L position, was she not? So I had a real moment of confusion here because she dies. And then is the party over? Is it late enough for this party? There's a bunch of kids leaving. Well, a bunch of them leave because of the curfew, they say, and that a bunch of people stay. So I'm assuming that those people, they initially plan on sleeping over. Mm. Billy shows up. <laughs> and uh, he and Sydney end up having a very brief encounter at the bottom of the stairs. And... They end up going upstairs to go talk. What's Leatherface doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Gail and Dewey come into the party and she sets up a camera. It is right below the TV. And we find out very shortly after this that there is a bit of a delay. Yeah. And I always thought it's not a terribly smart place to put the camera because it's right on top of the VCR where they're putting all the tapes in. Oh, Oh, it's a giant camera. Yeah. But... You know, no one noticed, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're drunk. Billy and Sydney are talking about her mom, and Sydney really opens up to Billy here about her fears. Billy equates her thoughts and feelings with movies, tells her that she can't pick a genre, and they end up making out, and... <sighs> I actually think this is a nicely written scene, but there is one There's a problematic like. word with it that really takes me out, and it just it's just so stupid, but I think I just hate the word in general. She hates the line. Why can't I be a Meg Ryan movie? <laughs> or even a good porno. <laughs> hate the word porno. <laughs> it just is so... I don't know why... I'm not shaming porn. I just hate the word porno because it feels like someone who's trying to be hip, but is like a million years old inside and is like, oh, there's pornos. Or maybe maybe even a good adult film. (laughs) I just feel like uh, she could have phrased that differently, but whatever. Um, And here she does give her consent to Billy for some sexy times. Meanwhile, there's a party downstairs and they are watching the movie Halloween. And this leads Brandy to break down uh, the rules of horror movies. Well, there are three rules. The first is you can never have sex. No, which is what's happening upstairs. (laughs) Yeah. And they intercut it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And number two is you can never drink or do drugs, which everyone's doing that right now. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back because you won't be back. Getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh, I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. So (laughs) Stu goes to go get some beer because Tatum is still not returned. Stu knows, well, Stu knows she's dead. But no one else is questioning where Tatum is. Sydney did. Mm. But then she got distracted by Billy. And no one else is questioning where Tatum is. Uh, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a party where everyone's sort of drinking and mingling. Like, yeah. Well, like, someone asks Stu, and he says, "Well, I guess you got mad at me." And uh, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Very, very true. So Gail and Kenny are watching the video back at the van. Now he's eating Cheetos. Dewey gets a call about a car being spotted down the road, and grabs Gail to go join him and check it out. More of the party ends up leaving and the horror movie starts matching what's happening between Billy and Sydney um, and their sexy times and boobies and all this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, another one of my favorites, some of my favorite lines. Look, here comes the obligatory tick shot. <laughs> and the funny thing is they're all like freaking out because they're seeing boobs you barely see them in Halloween it's like it's cut off at the yeah, bottom of the screen they're very excited though the party is interrupted by a phone call saying that they found the principal they found him dead and he's strung up on the goalposts on the football field so if you remember the scene of the principal being killed was a late addition so this was a late addition too so it was actually a blessing in disguise to kevin williamson because killing the principal gave him a good reason to get the other kids out of the house yeah it's an excellent reason so all the kids just like run off and take off to go see the principal before they take him down which wonderful group of kids (laughs) i know awful (laughs) But the, Randy's a good kid. He thinks it's disrespectful. Yes. As they're leaving uh, the property, they almost run over Dewey and Gail. And Dewey and Gail show, share a little moment together. <laughs> um, but this also leads to them stumbling upon Sydney's dad's car. Mm-hmm. And so that sends Dewey into high alert. And he says he assumes that Neil is there and has to run back and go get, um, get back up and run into the house. So I think he sends... Gail to go get back up and he goes into the house? Yeah. But I mean, there's more time between this, but... Yeah. So we cut back to Sydney and Billy and they have just finished having the sexy times. Sydney asks Billy out of nowhere, she decides to ask him who he called while he was in jail, who he called with his one phone call. And he comments that he called his dad. She doesn't believe him, but she says to him that it would be pretty clever of him to call her to throw her off of his scent. Mm-hmm. So if he were to call as the killer while he's in jail, she would never suspect him of mm-hmm. doing that. And so he says, what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, Billy. <laughs> so the killer shows up and stabs Billy multiple times and chases Sydney. Well, you get that great shot that I love of the ghost face wiping the blood off the knife. Sydney ends up running uh, through the house and she finds Tatum's body. Before we get there, let me yes. mention this chase through the house. If you pay close attention, there's little clues as to who the killer is. Oh. Because later, as we know, again, spoiler, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stu is one of the killers. Uh-huh. This is Stu's house. Mm-hmm. One, Ghostface knows exactly where to go. And then when they go into the attic, there's some weird things up there like dolls hanging by the neck and just weird things that only a disturbed person would have. Huh. I never looked around the attic. Yeah, I didn't either. I think there's a surfboard up there or something. There is a surfboard that she uses to close the door. Yeah. Disturbed person would have a surfboard. (laughs) Exactly. In where are they? California. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um... So Sydney finds Tatum's body. Meanwhile, Randy is watching Halloween all alone and it mirrors what's happening to him. He's talking to... To the TV. 
Laurie Strode's character on TV, telling her that he's right behind her uh, and all this stuff. Well, the great thing about that scene, several things. One, when Ghostface first enters, he enters on the cue from Halloween, that sound. Oh, there he is. I told you. I told you he's right around the corner. No, 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 no. He enters then, and then when Randy is telling Laurie Strode to turn around with Ghostface behind him, he's calling her Jamie. Jamie, turn around, Jamie. And his oh, name yes. is Jamie, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you. And by the way, fun fact, this is the only scene in the movie where Ghostface was played by one of the actual killers of the movie, oh. uh, played by uh, Skeet Ulrich in that scene. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So he's watching Halloween and it mirrors what's happening to him. The killer is about to kill Randy, but then gets distracted by Sydney's cries, which are outside. Sydney is in the meantime running towards the news van where Kenny is hanging out watching what's happening. He fell asleep. There you go. They end up watching what's happening and they see the killer and he realizes that there's a 30 second delay. And by the time they realize that, turn around the door, the front door is wide open and the killer shows up and Kenny gets got real bad. Mm-hmm. He's not in the union anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Dewey runs into the house as Gail goes to the van to go um, get the cellular. Kenny, I need the cellular. Get the cellular. <laughs> as Dewey is walking in or running into the house, he's calling for Neil. So he 100% thinks that at this point it is Sydney's dad who is murdering everyone. Gail cannot find Kenny, but she does step into a giant pool of blood. She gets in the car to go like take off. Randy runs up to the car and she just starts like railing on him and um, just says hey what's going on (laughs) she starts beating him up (laughs) um and then from there we end up seeing that kenny's super dead he's on the roof of the car his blood is going everywhere and she's just trying to get him off of the car and in this frenzy it causes gail to crash yeah she's the worst driver of all time Well, you know what? You tell me how you do with a dead body on top of your car. Well, I don't think I'd crash into a tree. And she probably also never drives that van. Yeah, that's true. She a diva. That's true. (laughs) So, previously, Sydney had escaped this van through the back. And she's running into Dewey as he's leaving the house. So, he comes out of the door. And when he turns around, he's been stabbed in the back. Which is very, it's a very sad, like, music that plays at that moment. You just feel so bad for him also. Severed nerve. Yeah. <laughs> and here we have a really great car scene. She runs into the sheriff's car mm, or into yeah, this Dewey's is so car. Good. But the killer has the keys. And it's just this whole thing where they're trying to figure out where is the killer going to come in through? There's a whole... Cat and mouse with the door. Mm-hmm. It's like whack-a-mole. It's really good. <laughs> um, I think it's just done so well. And unbeknownst to her, the trunk is opening slowly. Yep. Sydney is able to radio a little bit of what's happening also at this moment. She escapes the car and Stu and Randy run up. Well, she escapes the car as Ghostface is choking her out. Yes. She's able to scurry away from him. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Stu and Randy run up on her and she's just having a moment because they're both accusing the other. Yes. And so she doesn't know who to believe. So she just pretty much locks them both out of the house. Billy comes stumbling down the stairs and asks her for the gun. She gives it to him and he lets Randy in. And then here comes maybe my favorite line in the movie. Stu's flipped out. He's gone mad. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then Billy. I thought it was going to be the psycho quote. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> no, that's a good little punch to it. But I like Stu flips out. He's gone mad. <laughs> and then and then re- Billy replies with a mad quote from Psycho and reveals himself to be the killer. Yeah, he says, "We all go a little mad sometimes." Mm-hmm. He shoots Randy. Stu shows up and reveals that he is in on it with Billy. Surprise, Sydney. This part always bugged me because I, I, I never liked when they're using the voice changer. It doesn't sound like the voice on the phone. They probably had the real guy's voice, but they mixed it with their real voice. Yeah. But the real voice is too overpowering, so it never sounds like the phone call voice. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! But then it's also going through the phone. Yeah, but then even, remember later, Sydney uses it on the phone mm. and it still sounds like Sydney. Mm. So from here, the boys reveal their diabolical plans. Billy reveals that they framed Cotton Weary and killed Maureen because Maureen broke up his parents' marriage. He says that because she wants to know why. And he says, why? And he's like, I don't really believe in motives. But then he says, well, he clearly has a motive. All right. He didn't believe in telling what his motive was. Yeah, but he did. But he does. They cut to Stu at that point. Do you think Stu knew the motive beforehand? Oh, interesting. So I've heard theories that he didn't. He was shocked, as shocked as much as her. Hmm. Oh, wait. So then, like, Stu just did this for shits and giggles? Well, we never find out what Stu's motive is. That's true. So... Other than Billy's, like, his BFF. That, yeah. I think that's what it was. And well, I, mean, I do jokes- think it's worth saying that, yeah, probably Stu was just thought he was having fun with his friend and didn't realize that there was, like, a reason. Yeah, I mean, he, he jokes that it was peer pressure, but... Mm-hmm. Peer pressure. But I'm sure he has, you know, some issues from when he was a kid that we don't know about. And, yeah. Like, Stu brings in Sydney's father, who they have bound and gagged, and reveals that they have cloned his cellular telephone. Um, And they plan to frame him for this year's murders, because all of this happens to be happening on the cusp into the year anniversary of them killing Maureen. It's after midnight. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I slept back where was flashing shit around like she was sharing stone or something. <laughs> and let's face it, your mom was no Sharon Stone. <laughs> so um, from here, we get a really great scene, uh, which is just really funny. And I believe there's some improv on Matthew Lillard's part. Oh, yeah. Regarding this. And the boys, which when I watched it now and I had to take notes, I was like, this is kind of dumb, though. They um, <laughs> should have murdered everyone and then started stabbing each other instead of stabbing each other and then wanting to finish the murders (laughs) so um the boys follow through with the rest of their plan and they start stabbing the crap out of each other and it's mostly Stu who gets stabbed billy gets like a few stabs or actually i believe one really good stab but everything else is just sorry billy i guess i got too zealous also never had heard that word before. I was like, does he be jealous? That's what I was like. Well, who says jealous like that? (laughs) (laughs) And why is he jealous? Because he gets to do the stabbing? Earlier in the scene, Stu had uh, walked in with a gun when he made the Sharon Stone hands. Um, He had this gun. He had put the gun down. He goes to retrieve this gun and the gun is now missing. Houston, we we have a problem here. That was improvised by Matthew Lillard. Oh. It turns out that Gail is super alive and has grabbed the gun. But um, she looks dead. But she, <laughs> she does. Still does. Um, as she goes to shoot <laughs> Billy, uh, Billy just knocks the crap out of her because she didn't have the safety 
off of the gun. He's about to kill her when Stu turns around and realizes that Sydney and her dad have escaped. So the boys then abandon trying to kill Gail and they are looking for Sydney and her father. They get a phone call from Sydney, which you had talked about earlier. Hello? Are you alone in the house? And Sydney lets them know that- Using um, the ghost face voice. Yes, that she has called the police. Meanwhile, Stu is very much mortally wounded from all the stabbing that they've been doing to each other. And when she does confirm that she's called the police, he asks her if she really did it. And she says yes. And I think this is one of the best lines ever. My mom and dad are gonna be so good. Ah! <laughs> it's, so good. it's just so good. Oh, and, and that- also the line right before that when Billy gets really mad and throws the phone and it <laughs> hits him and he calls him a dick. Yeah, he's the like, phone, hit me the dick! phone. And that what that didn't happen on purpose. He didn't mean to throw the phone at him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. Uh, Matthew Lillard really shines in these little moments. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Sydney jumps out of the closet as Billy's walking by and she's dressed well, up as the killer. Well, before we we get there, I just want to no. mention that when Billy is looking around to look for Sydney, he hears Halloween is playing and it's the closet scene. And that triggers his memory. What do you look in the closet? So she jumps out, has an umbrella, and she stabs Billy with this umbrella. Stu attacks Sydney, and they have a little chase scene through the living room area, and she drops a TV on his head. Yeah, and their final lines to each other were, were improvised. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Which was... I always had a thing for you, Sid! In your dreams! <laughs> Billy isn't dead, but Gail shoots him as he's about to kill Sydney. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to build that up a little bit? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so Billy is not dead from this wound and attacks Sydney. He tries to like choke her. Or tries whatever. to choke her. Then he has the knife and he's about yes, to stab Yes, he's about her. to. She sticks her finger in the little wound, oh, yeah. which is every time anyone does that, <laughs> it's horrible. And um, he does raise up his arm in a very excellent killer move but it's a little too much and here comes gail and she's taking the safety off the gun and she shoots him sydney kind of checks on billy kind of like kicks him a little bit but randy brings up that this is the point where well randy who's not dead um (laughs) he's been shot but he's not dead randy got shot and this is after Stu dies and he scares Sydney and he says I'm so glad I'm still alive I'm oh, so glad right. I'm, I'm a virgin and then Billy punches him in the face and then that's when Billy attacks and the Gale shoots him uh, yeah so Randy ends up talking about how this is the point where the killer will come back for one last scare and Billy does <laughs> He doesn't even get up. He just lunges. I mean, his head goes up. Yeah. He's got some good core strength because his shoulders <laughs> come up also. And Sydney shoots him in the head. And then she says, not in my movie. But he already did it. In her movie. Exactly. Oh, it did scare her. All of a sudden, Neil Prescott comes slamming through the closet. Oh, that's oh, yeah. the stumble in. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. So now it is the morning. Mm-hmm. And the police have arrived, and I said that Gail finally gets her story. Hi, this is Gail Weathers with an exclusive eyewitness account of this amazing breaking story. She's walking with some news crews, and the camera is panning out of the house. You hear some end credit-ish music. It like, all began with a scream over 911. 
And Dewey's being put into the ambulance. Dewey, Dewey is survived. Yes. We get our last jump scare here. There's a lightning flash and Ghostface pops yeah. up. And then, and then um, you hear whisper to a scream. Yes. And it will. I will say that this is some of my favorite end credits because I do really enjoy, which I'm glad that they did it for, I believe, all of the movies. Yes. But I like that they have, for some people, it's a very awkward pose um, or a little capture that they have with their name right next to it and <laughs> yeah so you see an image of it. you see an image of the actor from the movie with their real name mm-hmm. and I always like that too and I would always go through the credits and say hello to them I'd go hi David hi Courtney <laughs> hi Nev hi Jamie how old are you <laughs> well I guess when it came out I was 12 mm. so 13 I guess okay all right but you still do it now right well, did I do it when we were watching it? I don't know. I, I was in Not out loud, maybe. No. <laughs> but in his head, he was all. She just doesn't remember. I did it just as loud as I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So um, that's Scream. Scream rules. <laughs> Scream is a wonderful picture. I was so excited when you were recapping. I was like seeing it in my head. I was like, yes. <laughs> As I said before, it ended up becoming one of my favorite movies. You know, I remember we used to make our own home movies all the time. And we used to do uh, lots of Scream movies where I would usually shoot them. But sometimes I was the voice of the killer, too. When we used to play Scream, even if we weren't shooting, we'd play Scream. My friend Ian was always Billy. <laughs> I was always Randy. My brother was always Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student from Scream 2. It's pretty much just be us three playing. Cool universe crossover. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time I got into a Scream costume and just my brother and my friend Kedem were at the house and it was late and dark and they couldn't find me. They went and checked in my room, but I was hiding behind the door and then I went into the bathroom. So that, then they looked behind the door and I wasn't there again. They couldn't, I kept moving to different rooms so they couldn't find me. And then they were so scared. Scott pulled out a big butcher knife because they didn't oh know, they God. thought there was a killer or something. And Kedem had this giant piece of wood. And then I almost got murdered. I popped yeah, out man. and scared them and I got hit on the head with a huh? giant piece of wood. Oh my gosh. Ugh. But yeah, Scream uh, brought some good memories. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Do you have some trivia and whatnot? I do. Would you like to hear a little bit about Scream? Lettuce. Hey, we're not finished yet. So Scream, you may know, was not the original title of the movie. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. What was the original title, David? Scary Movie. Oh, I thought it was Murder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was originally titled Scary Movie. They say Scary Movie throughout the entire movie. What's Mm -hmm. your favorite scary movie? Mm -hmm. In fact, in the trailer, when Randy gives the three rules, he says there are three rules to successfully survive a scary movie. But in the movie, they changed it to horror movie. Yeah, it was changed by the Weinsteins, I believe, who ended up making the movie. Mm-hmm. The picture was written by Kevin Williamson. This was his first real big success. He was partly inspired by real events about student murders in Gainesville, Florida in 1990. Oh. I'm sorry, when was Dawson's Creek? Was this like the same year? Dawson's Creek came out in 98, yeah. and this was 96. Okay. In fact, there was an episode of Dawson's Creek that was heavily inspired by mm-hmm. Scream. That's right. Hello. Hello. Who's this? You tell me your name, and I'll tell you mine. Okay, Dawson. Who's Dawson? 
All right. Uh, yeah, I saw this movie. Wasn't there also a Boy Meets World? There was. That's right. I love that episode of Boy Meets World <laughs> with Jennifer Love Pfefferman. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite? Ooh, okay. Well, I like that one with the hottie hot hot from Party of Five. Nev Campbell? So Kevin Williamson, he had this idea in his head and he he wanted to write it as a script. So he took a trip to Palm Springs and he sat locked up in his room for three days and wrote the entire script plus outlines for sequels. That's right. I remember really? That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. So he actually like wrote the outlines for the sequels? At least for Scream 2. I remember it as being Scream 2 that he had the well, idea of what it would be. When people read the actual script for Scream, there was a little blurb at the end of it about what Scream 2 would be about. Because he wanted to sell this as a franchise. Oh, franchise. He thought it would have a better chance of selling if he could sell it that way. Okay. As he wrote the script for those three days, guess what he listened to? Red Right Hand. <laughs> no. The soundtrack to Halloween. Oh. So Kevin Williamson, he himself is a huge Halloween fan. He cites it as his favorite movie of all time. As he says, most people, most film people choose Citizen Kane. And no, it's Halloween for him all the way. (laughs) The reason that he wrote the script is because this is a movie that he wanted to watch and no one was writing the screenplay. So Mm -hmm. he's like, well, I'll just do it myself and see what happens. It ended up being really popular in terms of people wanting to buy it. And there was a bidding war. And... The biggest bidders were between Paramount, Universal, and Morgan Creek, with the final two bidders being between Oliver Stone and the Weinsteins. Huh. The Weinsteins. Oliver Stone. Wasn't political enough for him. (laughs) (laughs) The Weinsteins ended up getting the rights, and they made the movie through Dimension Films. Mm -hmm. Is that like a subdivision or something of Miramax? Yes. Okay. So he wrote the script, and you know, the script made no mention of what the mask looked like. Hmm. Do you know how they came across the mask? No. Halloween store. I was going to ask. The mask was originally made in ni- between 1991 and 1992 by Fun World, a mask company. Mm-hmm. And a producer named Marianne Madalena discovered it while they were doing a location scout. Mm-hmm. She found it inside of one of the houses they were looking at. What? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just lying there. Murder just happened. <laughs> and then she showed it to Wes Craven and Wes Craven uh, really liked it and he wanted to use the mask, but he knew that there would be legal issues. He can't use the actual one. So he took the mask and he gave it to K&B Studios to create a mask based off of the ghost face mask, oh. which in the movie, when they showed the bag in the movie, it's, yeah. it's called Father Death. Yeah. yeah. So K&B made a mask and Wes Craven was using it and realized he didn't really like it so much. So then they went to Fun World and got the rights and used the real mask throughout the movie. Oh. But there are still two scenes, I believe, that have the original mask. They're uh-huh. very close, but you could see some differences. The easiest way to tell the difference is in the death of Casey Becker the slow motion shot when he's stabbing her you could see there's some sort of like gray cloth or something instead of black next Uh to the mask and it's a lot more rounded I would say Huh. It doesn't look as good, but it is pretty subtle. Like it, obviously it's it's But it's just that shot or is for the whole scene his mask is different. Just that shot, like the close-up of Wes Craven, when Wes Craven's in the costume turning, that's the original mask. It's pretty much just that shot. If you look at it side by side, you can see a difference. And then the other scene that it's used is in the shot where uh, Principal Himbry is being killed. 
Mmm. I noticed when I was a kid that mask always had like a sweet smell to it. Yeah, it does. There's like some, it's like latex smell. I guess, but it's like something like if I ever smelled it, I would be like, "Hey, this smells like the inside of a scream mask." <laughs> <laughs> so the mask is based off of a few things. Can you guys name what it's based off of? Van Gogh's The Scream. Not Van Gogh. But oh, who who painted that? Edward Munch. Oh, okay, sorry, but The Scream. Yeah, The Scream painting. It's also based on characters from the cover of that Pink Floyd album, The Wall. Oh, okay. And it's also based off of ghostly characters that were in a 1930s Betty Boop cartoon. What? Yeah. Creepy. So it shows a caricature of someone screaming and crying at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's meant to display different emotions. Originally, when they were going to do the movie, they were going to have the costume of Ghostface be all white. So he's just like a white ghost. Would you guys have liked that? No. I don't think so. Because you'd be able to see him everywhere. And he'd be dirty. Yeah. yeah, you'd be real dirty. Or the reason Full of blood. Or the reason that they really did decide to not go that way, he looks too much like a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, there's also <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. A little clanny. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob Weinstein, one of the producers of the movie, he wasn't happy with the mask. He didn't like the way it looked. And he told them to shoot one scene with seven different masks and he'll choose which one he likes. Wes Craven and the crew refused to. They liked this mask. They wanted to use it. That was that. And they decided just to do the whole scene, the Drew Barrymore scene, the opening scene, and then show him that final scene and see what he says. He saw it and ended up loving it by that point. Oh, <laughs> So the movie was directed by Wes Craven, and you know, he originally turned it down. He turned it down because he felt it was too gory. Mm-hmm. Which, what? You know, he's made some of the goriest movies of all time, or yeah. scariest movies of all time, at least. You know, mm-hmm. he did A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, The Hills Have Eyes, and Last House on the Left. And a little kid came up to him around the time he was being approached with Scream and told him that he's gone soft. He's lost his guts. How and old was this kid? Was like a five-year-old? And he's like, uh, he's gone soft. I have a feeling it was like an 11-year-old or something. And that, was it you? <laughs> and that kind of pushed him into taking the role. I'll show that kid. <laughs> of course, the Weinsteins wanted to save as much money as they could, and they wanted to film the movie in Vancouver, Canada. But Wes Craven did not want to do that, as he wanted the California feel of the town. Wes Craven was arguing a lot with them about this, and he was almost fired <laughs> for holding his ground and not going to Canada. Mm-hmm. Finally, they gave in, and they shot it in Santa Rosa. And the high school scenes were supposed to be shot at Santa Rosa High School. And as they were about to shoot, very close to the shooting date, the school board canceled it because they realized it was a horror movie with oh, lots of violence. they their school associated. Yeah, because they were under the impression that the movie was going to be a comedy. Oh, well. They had to film at another high school. This really upset Wes Craven. And if you look at the credits carefully, it says in the special thanks section, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District government. I remember that. That's great. (laughs) No thanks whatsoever. He he was mad about that? Or he was so mad that that he put it in the credits? He was mad about not getting the school, so he put it in the credits. Oh, okay, good. Okay. I thought he was mad about that being in the credits. No. So Santa Rosa is north of San Francisco. You have not made this pilgrimage yet no Mm. have you no but i'd love to so where what school they went to heldsburg california oh which is even more north so kevin williamson do you know who his first choice for sydney prescott was drew barrymore what's your guess 
It was someone he was a huge fan of. Okay. And she turned it down because she didn't want to play a high school student at 27 years old. Shannon Dorothy. Nope. It is Molly Ringwald. Oh. Oh. Drew Barrymore, she was originally cast as Cindy Prescott. Oh, she was straight up cast. Mm -hmm. Wow. But then she insisted that she play Casey because it would make the audience believe that anything was possible. Mm -hmm. That's a super inspired choice. Yeah. And again, that's uh, similar to what they did in Psycho with Janet Leigh. Because Janet Leigh was the big star. Good for Drew Barrymore. Wes Craven asked Nev Campbell then to audition for the role of Sydney. How did he know her? uh, Just from watching Party of Five. Oh, that show was already out. Yeah, he really liked it and uh, asked her to audition. Wes Craven's a Party of Five fan. (laughs) Then, apparently, they offered the role of Gail Weathers to Janine Garofalo. She turned it down, and then they almost cast Brooke Shields instead. Oh, I don't know if that would have been the best. I think, yeah, I think Janine Garofalo is the closest to, like, Courtney Cox is sort of doing a Janine Garofalo, and I don't think Brooke (laughs) Shields could have pulled that off. Yeah, they really didn't want to go for Courtney Cox at first because she was known as her... Monica? As Monica from Friends and having, you know, kind of a wholesome personality. Uh, but she really fought for the part and wanted to prove that she could do something different. Yeah, Courtney Cox is a good actress. She's very entertaining. David Arquette, I guess originally he was going to be Billy, but he turned it down to really? be to be Dewey because Dewey was written as the hunky leading man. But then they changed <laughs> his character to fit David Arquette's personality. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> of course, David Arquette and Courtney Cox met on this film, later married. Later divorced. Joaquin Phoenix turned down the role of Billy. Oh, I'm really glad for that. (laughs) And then, do you know who plays Kenny the Cameraman? Yes. W. Earl Brown. (laughs) Who's also in Deadwood, which is my favorite. One of your favorite shows. But he was also in Wes Craven's New Nightmare and Vampire in Brooklyn. And there's something about Mary. That's right. And then who else do we have to round out the cast? (laughs) We have Matthew Lillard, who was in, what, 13 Ghosts? Yes. And Summer Catch, of course. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> uh, Rose McGowan, who was in Jawbreaker. Grindhouse, Jawbreaker, Charmed. As I told you before, the only time Skeet Ulrich played the killer was in that one scene with Jamie Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Matthew Lillard was never under the costume. What? Most of the time, it was a stuntman named Dane Farwell, and he played Ghostface throughout all four films. Oh, really? In fact, I wrote a fan letter to him when I was a kid, when this movie came out. That's mm-hmm. great. And he sent me an autographed photo saying, saying Robert, thanks for the compliment. And then we have the voice of the killer, mm-hmm. which is done by Roger L. Jackson. Hello. He was originally going to be a temp voice, but then they liked how much he sounded and decided to keep him. He was actually on the set in another room where they would just you know, hook up the phone where they could really talk to him. Hmm. But Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell never met him during production to keep it scarier for them. Okay. So they wouldn't see his kind face. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine him looking like a very jolly fellow. <laughs> so to keep Drew Barrymore's energy up and to keep her crying and upset the whole time, Wes Craven kept telling her real life stories of animal cruelty to get mm-hmm. her to cry. That's so mean. 
It worked. She cried. (laughs) While they were filming the opening scene with Drew Barrymore on the phone, someone forgot to unplug the phone. So when she was calling 911, she really did call 911. (laughs) And the police had to call and figure out what was going on because they just heard screaming and crying, (laughs) you know, that there's a killer and all that. (laughs) So the finale of the movie, when we get to Stu's party at his house, that whole sequence lasted for a 21-day shoot. Whoa! And the, the, the cast and crew called it the longest night in horror history. <laughs> and then they, they had shirts made that said something like, I survived scene number 121 or whatever. Wow. And so then just to do everything that happens from Stu's party to the end or just Stu's party? Stu's party to the end. Took 21 days? Yeah. Okay, that's not too bad because that's what, how much is like, it's over 45 minutes of the movie. Is yeah, it not? yeah, it's a, it's a good chunk. Yeah, okay. Um, Still though, just to be in the same essentially like part yeah. of the movie for a month. <laughs> and then, as you know, at the end, Billy is stabbed in the chest with the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Well, the stunt person who was under the costume playing Sydney at one point missed the padding and stabbed Skeet Ulrich in the chest, and he had some sort of like metal wiring from open heart surgery when he was a kid. <gasps> And it really hurt him a lot. He was in really bad pain. And that's the shot they kept in the movie. Him in excruciating pain. Whoa. Excellent. As we know, Dewey is being put into the ambulance at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. In the script, he was supposed to die. Wes Craven shot that scene of him being put into the ambulance because he wasn't sure if he wanted to keep him alive Mm. or not. Mm. And he decided to let him live. Nice. The special effects guys said that there were over 50 gallons of blood used on the movie. Really? Yeah. (laughs) As we mentioned before, uh, Marco Beltrami did the music. The music sort of became iconic. I mean, it was used in like all the Dimension Horror films after that. Mm -hmm. And lots of similar sounding things. We were just watching something. I think Stranger Things had some stuff that sounded like it. And he got the job because Wes Craven's assistant went into an internet chat room and asked if anyone had any recommendations. What? <laughs> wow. Internet, so they were on AOL, went yep. into whatever chat room. That's right. That's pretty funny. And this is the first film he had ever scored. Wow. Good for him. I take it back. Everything sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't want to do a conventional style horror film sound. He kind of thought of it as a horror film western. And there's, you could hear kind of western-y type sounds there's in it train in one part <laughs> it sounds like a big train whistle does it yeah huh. they had a hard time securing their r rating they had to send it back nine times to not get the nc-17 rating eventually bob weinstein had to step in and he told them to look at this movie like you're watching a comedy and then eventually they gave them the r Nice. The film was released, as we said, in 1996, and it was around Christmas time. And as I told you, it didn't do very well. They thought it was going to flop. But then word of mouth caused people to show up and it had great success, ended up making more than $100 million in the United States. It ended up winning Best Picture at the 1997 MTV Movie Awards. Uh-huh. And, and the best movie is... That was my favorite episode or my favorite show of the movie awards hosted by Mike Myers. They did a a little screen parody where the killer asks who Drew Barrymore's favorite comedian is on SNL. And she says, Michael, Michael Myers. And then you see it's Uh, Mike Myers (laughs) as the screen voice going, very good. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Who's your favorite SNL cast member? I don't know. Think back a few years. 
I'll give you a hint. I can't think. Swing. Michael. Michael. Yes, very good. He's my favorite too. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> yeah, so that scream it brought a whole wave of new horror movies horror movies were sort of uh on the way out i would yeah, say yeah they weren't doing so good then scream came and changed everything and there's so many copycat movies after this we get other kevin williamson movies like i know what you did last summer or uh teaching mrs tingle even though that's not really a horror movie but then you know there was stuff like urban legend and the faculty Halloween H2O. Final Destination. Final Destination. So much stuff. And they're all sort of these meta movies, Mm -hmm. meaning self-referencing movies. Yeah. Yeah. But it really kicked it into high gear. And this was the type of movie you would see until I would say around 2001 when torture movies took over with Uh, Saw. Yeah. But, you know, I really love this movie and uh, I hope you guys do too. The movie, it has three sequels. Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, and then the television series. As of the recording of this episode, the third season's playing right now. Oh. On VH1. <laughs> Which is such a bizarre... I would have never picked I'm VH1. excited to see it, because uh, What's-His-Name Returns is the voice. It's the Ghostface mask. Yep. So, yeah. Do you guys have anything else to add? Yeah. So, before this, in terms of whodunit type of horror films, what else was there other than Prom Night? There was was Three. Silent Night, Deadly Night, like a whodunit type of movie. Uh, there were no, a, but Terror Train was Terror Train. I never saw um, that. I feel like there were a lot of like smaller ones. Were um, there not? I mean, like, even I guess Friday the Thirteenth is one. So I was revisiting this film, and something occurred to me that I think a prequel would be interesting. How so? The whole Cotton Weary storyline i think is so lush now would you use the backstory that they gave in scream 3 for your prequel no scream 3 doesn't exist in this (laughs) what was the backstory in scream 3 well the killer in that his name is roman bridger yes and he is actually the brother of Sidney prescott and he he told billy loomis about how his mom was cheating and stuff, or, or how his dad was cheating with Maureen Prescott. Okay. And that's why she left. And he talked them into how to come up with this scheme on how to kill people. So he's responsible for everything that happens in the Scream movies. Meh. Or no. Scream. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scott Foley. Yeah. 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 I, I was thinking about it, and I think it could be pulled off, but it would be interesting. Who would, anyway. you, who would you get to play a young cotton weary? Um, I see Meg Ryan myself. <laughs> Just DH. Yeah, I know. I mean, if you did it in like 15 years, it could be Dustin from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> So, also, I just wanted to talk more about the pop culture schooling I got from this movie, just mm-hmm. from the dialogue alone. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't know anything about the Richard Gere gerbil story before this movie. Oh, I d- really? I, I didn't yeah. either. I did. And then, like, the, the list of movies yeah. that this references, I don't think I've seen half of them. I haven't even seen all the right moves. I haven't either, but I want to see if I pause it just right, if I could see his penis. Now, I've thought of that because it would be very easy to do it now. Yeah. I've thought if I watch it and I try to do that, it has to be on VHS. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But what else? Let's see. You've seen Halloween. Yeah. You haven't seen seen Prom Night. They mentioned Hellraiser. Have you seen that? Uh, I have not seen Hellraiser. 
town that dreaded sundown. I haven't seen it. It's about a killer in Texas, huh? <laughs> uh, trading Places. Yeah, I haven't seen Trading Places. And I've seen more of these movies than you boys have. Mm-hmm. Pop in. Have you not? I guess seen I figured trading you had. Places? I thought I've it was trading weird places. that I haven't seen these movies. Yeah. I've never seen The Howling. I've seen The Howling. I've not. Um, I've seen Frankenstein with ET's mom in it. <laughs> I've seen ET. <laughs> I've seen all the movies except for all the right moves. You saw The Town That Dreaded Sundown? Yeah. Okay. Have you? No. Oh, I never saw I Spit on Your Grave. Um, I saw that. I saw the remake. I don't think Which I saw Which was referenced when she says, what is this? I Spit on Your Garage. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry, so dumb, but so funny. <laughs> what about um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, I have seen that. What's uh, Leatherface doing here? What, what about Clueless, Alicia? Oh, wow. That's so funny to think that Clueless <laughs> came out before Scream. Mm-hmm. So, the... Ghostface costume was everywhere for like 10 years. You couldn't get away from it. Maybe right. not 10 years, but uh, at least five years. It's like everybody had it. Did Every- you have one? I had access to one. I don't think I had one. I think I knew somebody with one. Or maybe I at least had the mask. My biggest gripe with it is the one in the movie. The cloak looks so good mm-hmm. and textured. Yeah. And none of the ones that you could buy in the store oh, had yeah. this great, like, no. the ones in Hot Topic were this thin, crappy, like, you get a nice padded hood and it has this sort of shimmer to it. Yeah, it's so great. It like almost always looks wet. <laughs> like when Tatum throws the beer on it. Yeah. Um, I think Tatum rules. Like I don't think I mean, I guess I always thought she kinda ruled when I was a kid, but watching her now, like, she's like so no nonsense. Oh, very and uh it's a shame that we lost her in the franchise. Yeah, I'm so surprised soon. that she yeah, that she got got. Tatum's good. I wish they did more of Dewey mourning her in the sequels. Yeah, he really has moved on pretty quickly because Scream 2 takes place a year after Scream 1. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So the voice changer drama. Somehow I got a voice changer and it was through a catalog or something and it is the one from the movie. There was no button on my voice changer, which they made it seem like there was a button on the one in the movie. Uh There wasn't. But what it did have on the other side was a foam ring that fit very perfectly around the microphone part of the receiver on the phone. And I would call people and say, okay, I'm going to use the voice changer and let me know, like, can you hear my voice behind it? For the most part, they could not hear my voice behind it because that foam ring that went around the receiver. But can you use that on a cell phone? If you did, you would hear the other, you would hear the regular voice and the voice changed voice. But they always used cell phones. Oh, that's a good point. But anyway, that was my theory behind maybe, but they also could have practiced. And then when they were doing it in the room, you're going to hear their voices. And then when Sydney's doing it, she did not practice and (laughs) didn't have it covered up. All right. I I buy that. That was always my thought behind it. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I wrote down some other things. Do you, you probably did this because I wrote a bunch of horror films. I was inspired by Scream. So we wrote a bunch of Scream plays when we were kids. We never filmed them, but we wrote the hell out of them. We didn't really write too um, many. Do did you, you ever painstakingly analyze who did which killing? Yeah, I thought about When it. in the movie. And I think it's pretty obvious who does what in sure. the movie. So what about Maureen? Do you think it was just Billy? <laughs> we're, not, we're, we're pretending Scream 3 doesn't exist. Right? I always pretend Scream 3 doesn't exist. I don't remember anything from that movie. 
I mean, it could have been both of them. We we, we didn't see what happened. Well, what we, do they say happens in Scream 3? It just was the brother or whatever? Well, it was the brother training Billy on what to do. I see. Dumb. And then okay. he could have gotten... Casey Steve. and Steve, Billy, because he goes into Sid's house after the fact? Well, I think it's both of them there. Then. Okay. Dewey? Uh, or the attempted... I This is out of order. I was writing it as uh, I was Dewey, thinking Dewey's of it. Dewey's too. Uh, Dewey is Stu, Tatum is Stu, Kenny no, is... Tatum is Billy. Tatum is Billy? Yeah. Oh, Why right, because that... oh. he mm-hmm. asks her to go get the beer. Gotcha. Um, Kenny? Kenny is Stu. Stu. This is all what Billy is up pretending Fake to dead. be dead. Right. Uh-huh. Sydney's dad, who do you think crashed, got him to crash his car or stashed his car or oh, kidnapped that... him? Or... Wouldn't it be Stu because Billy was at the police station? Maybe. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. I guess it depends how long it's been there. And who yeah. called in the car? Remember? Mm, Dewey, yeah. Dewey got a notice saying that... It might have been. Well, it had to have been one of the boys. I guess so. I mean, and for what? But like, I guess they wanted somebody to be witness to it? Well, because they want, they're blaming it all on Neil. So right, yeah, they... yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this car, it was over there. Uh, Principal Hembry. Uh, um, Stu turns around and goes back toward the school before that scene, right? Yeah. That one, what could be either, but I would guess Stu. And then the bathroom scene? Stu. Is that Stu? Okay. Did I cover everything? Well, who attacked Sydney in the house? Was that Billy or was it Stu? Oh, um, I think it would be I think it was Billy. Stu. Where was Stu? Well, I think it was Stu and then Billy showed up at the window with the phone. Mm, right. Because, and also remember... The killer goes easy, easy. Oh right, yeah, yeah. There's no shaking you on that. I was listening to the grunts and trying to place them, yeah. but I feel like a majority of them were Stu's grunts. There's also a theory that Billy and Stu were gay. I would see it more on Stu's part than Billy's part. Yeah, because then that would explain a little bit more of why Stu is involved in this, in that he was in love. Yeah, I think Kevin Williamson said he. Didn't intend them to be gay, but yeah. And then the final thing is, I always like to go and see how old these actors were when these things were going on. So these are ballpark ages because they probably had a birthday either during production or after. But Courtney Cox was 32, and she's actually the oldest cast member. Oh. Nev Campbell was 23-ish. David Arquette was 25-ish. Skeet Ulrich was 26-ish. The fact that our David Arquette was cast as Billy sort of made a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, 24 for a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Lillard was also 26-ish. Uh, Rose McGowan was 23. Jamie Kennedy was 25. And then just because I looked it up, I was like, how old was Kevin Williamson when he sold this movie? Or at least when it was getting made. And he was 30. Oh, and, wow. ho- and how old was Henry Winkler? I didn't look it up because it just... I thought about it, but I... <laughs> well, speaking Older. of that, you know, Henry Winkler went uncredited for the movie. And oh. they asked him to do that because they wanted to push that this was going to be a movie for the young, cool kids. They didn't want it to be a Fonzie movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's strange. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's about all I have. Uh, it's impossible not to watch it and quote it. And I, we've been miming our hands motions through have. the entire. I've seen them both. both <laughs> in my peripheral yeah, I to take here's the ex- exorcist away. fingers <laughs> so that scream I hope you all enjoyed going over this classic picture let us know how you guys feel about the movie are you guys fans I always wonder how many scream fans there are because I, I feel like it, it might not hold up for some people it does for me though I definitely think the movie holds up I think it holds sure. up also yeah 
David, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yes. Do you have anything to plug? Um, where can our listeners find you? Um, coming up, we will be launching Jimmy Eat Pod, which <gasps> is a song by song in-depth analysis for every Jimmy Eat World song um, in no particular order. So we start with a deep cut. So if you're if you're into Tom songs, I guess you'll like it. But otherwise, you'll probably wait a few episodes. So yeah, you can search for us on any of the places you get your podcasts or we're Jimmy E. Pod on all of the socials. Excellent. Yeah. Very nice. And Inthea, where can they find us? We can be found at Pods and Monsters on Twitter and Facebook. On Instagram, we are Pods and Monsters Podcast. You can also find us at podsandmonsters.com. Please take a moment to rate and review us if you're enjoying our podcast or share it with a friend. It really helps us get out there and we're really enjoying doing this and having our friends join us and we'd love it if you let us know if you're enjoying it as well. Yeah, and maybe one day you'll be on the show too. (laughs) And we also are taking requests or suggestions. Um, It doesn't mean that we'll immediately make the next episode whatever your movie of choice will be. But if it's a movie that we have planned or coincides with our list, it may get bumped up or we might, you know, it'll be considered and we'll totally look into it. So, yeah, send us your request. Podsandmonsters at gmail.com. Well, on that note, let me say thank you for joining us. And thank you, David, for joining us. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So just a reminder, don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Scream. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I told you not to hang up on me.